Good afternoon. It's one o'clock. I'm Matthew Trevithick. Right now in downtown London, we're seeing some cloudy skies on and off. Light snow showers. One degree feels like minus three. London's new city council will be officially sworn in tonight during a special ceremony at the London Convention Center. After today, the council chamber horseshoe will be populated by a new mayor and six new councillors. It's anyone's guess, though, how the group will govern when it comes to a number of high-profile issues facing the city, most notably bus rapid transit. Mayor-elect Ed Holder, who served for several years as a conservative MP, has tapped Ward 4 councillor Jesse Helmer to serve as deputy mayor, a move that coincides with Holder's campaign promise of bringing council together. Doors open for tonight's ceremony. It's at 5 p.m. The event gets underway at 6. A 42-year-old London man has been charged in connection to an investigation in what alleged sexual assault on a city bus. Police say a woman reported to them she had been touched inappropriately by a man on the number 13 bus on November 23rd. Last week, police put out a release saying they were looking for a suspect and released surveillance images. Today, police announced an arrest had been made and say the accused faces a charge of sexual assault. James Matthew Patterson will appear in court today. A new report out this morning on the use of food banks across the province shows more seniors are accessing the service. The 2018 Hunger Report put out by the Ontario Association of Food Banks shows there was a 10% increase in visits by seniors between April of last year and March of this year. The report showed about 501,000 people used food banks across the province in 2017. Jane Roy is co-executive director of the London Food Bank and tells 980 CFPL more about our overall local stats. In 2017, we saw 42,000 different visits. That was 24,000 different people. That's 24,000 different Londoners coming to the food bank. Officials say seniors are twice as likely to need help from a food bank on an ongoing basis. Two of Canada's biggest unions say they'll be teaming up to fight Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Unifor and the Ontario Public Service Employees Union say Ford and the Tory government are pushing what they call the destructive anti-worker agenda that favors corporate interests over everyday people. A Ford spokesman issued a statement saying the government supports all workers and will make decisions to help, quote, the little guy and not union bosses. Unifor National President Jerry Dias and OPSU President Warren Smokey Thomas We'll be on with Mike Stubbs this afternoon on London Live. That's just after 1.30. Former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne is set to testify today before a committee tasked with her uh, with probing her Liberal government's accounting practices. Premier Doug Ford, whose Tory government won a majority earlier this year, announced the creation of a of the committee in September after his finance minister said Ontario was running a $15 billion deficit. The Tories have said they have since brought that deficit down to $14.5 billion. South of the border, six U.S. Secret Service agents who protected former President George H.W. Bush served as honorary pallbearers this morning. The former president's remains are being taken from Houston to Washington, where he will lie in state of the U.S. Capitol in advance of Wednesday's state funeral. Bush died on Friday at his home in Houston at the age of 94. We are standing by for the capture. Yes, capture is confirmed. The Russian Soyuz rocket carrying Canadian astronaut David St. Jacques, an American astronaut and a Russian cosmonaut, successfully docked with the International Space Station today. St. Jacques is going to spend six months aboard the space station carrying out a range of experiments. The last Canadian astronaut aboard the space station was Chris Hadfield, who spent five months there on a mission that ended in May 2013. 980 CFPL News Time coming up on 104. Coming up, London Live with Mike Stubbs. We got some unexpected sunshine yesterday, so we'll have to start our count of instances of sunshine all over again. Actually, things do look better toward the end of this week. Lots to do today. I don't know if you saw earlier. You can read this at globalnews.ca right now. 
the fact that we have Unifor and we have Opsu and they are pledging to get together and take on the Ontario government. Ooh, this is something. And to the point that they are getting together, they're going to prove it right here on London Live. Smokey Thomas and Jerry Diaz. Smokey Thomas, who is the president of Opsu, Jerry Diaz, who is the president of Unifor, will be on the show together at 1.35. That's in less than a half hour from now. And we'll talk to them about GM and the closing of the plant there. We'll talk to them about really what happened that, you know, there was some criticism over, not around here, but externally on bringing Maple Leaf Foods and that the premier, Doug Ford, had given $34.5 million for the construction of a plant in London, Ontario. And we'll talk about that criticism. So a lot of things to get to, but both of them will join us at the very same time. That comes up at 1.35. As well, over the weekend, there was a lot of talk about oil prices. If you did grocery shopping on the weekend, how did that go? Did you enjoy it? You find a lot of sales? No, not really. Find a lot of expensive things? Yeah. You know what? That's because our economy is tied to oil. And oil that is being produced by Canada is in the toilet. We are getting very little return when we sell oil. And that was talked about this weekend, not completely surrounding Canada, but that was talked about at a meeting that featured a lot of G20 leaders in Argentina. And then you had Rachel Notley, who's the premier of Alberta, saying, we've got to do something here. And what they're doing is putting the brakes on how much oil is being produced with the attempt to bring up the price a little bit. Now, that's not great for us at the pumps, of course. We're just sitting back. And did you look at this? Did you buy gas today? I didn't even pay a dollar a liter. Well, that's what we're doing. But that's not the point. Our country is tied to this stuff. And we're not really doing a lot to help. And so something has to shift. Something has to change. And if it means paying more at the pumps, it means paying less elsewhere. Because if we were all to do our little household budgets and say, oh, look what I'm spending on a head of lettuce these days. Look at what I'm spending on this. Look at how much groceries have gone up. Look at how much the cost of this and this and this and this have gone up. Then paying a little bit more at the pumps would probably be offset. So we'll talk about that in about an hour from now. The London Knights had their teddy bear toss yesterday. Thank you to everybody who threw a plush toy on the ice. We got to talking about teddy bear tosses before the game with a few people, including the Sarnia broadcasters, and they had been to a teddy bear toss where somebody decided that they could get the bears up off the ice because this is a process, and London has it down to an absolute science because when the bears are thrown down, you've got the assembly lines that get them around the netting at Budweiser Gardens, onto the ice, and almost 9,000 bears yesterday, 8,700. So they all go down on the ice. They've got trucks, and they've got things they call gaylords out there, and they throw the bears in, they take them off. They do an outstanding job, little minor hockey teams. But not everybody has that kind of science. And so there was one team somewhere, and they decided, you know, if we want to get all of these teddy bears up on the ice, you know what would work really well? A little tractor with a front-end loader on it. And then we could just like drive along the ice and push the bears 
off. And then people could pick them up there and eventually clean them up and they go to where they're supposed to go, which is to a lot of kids at this time of year who could use a smile. Well, it didn't work out that well. They didn't realize that you're not really pushing rocks around with that front end loader. You're pushing little soft plush toys. And they wound up running over a lot of the toys, and some of them got damaged, and the kids had to watch this happen. It it got to be a bit of a nightmare. So if you're ever in charge of a teddy bear toss, the odds are very small. No front-end loader. Do not bring a tractor onto the ice. It will not help you to pick up the bears. But yesterday, while London was throwing those thousands and thousands of bears onto the ice, 6,500 kids in this area are going to be helped out this year. In Hershey, Pennsylvania, they were having a teddy bear toss, and they broke the world record, 34,798 bears. Hershey decided to challenge their fans, and so they said, how about we do a 30K challenge? What do you mean, run 30K? I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. We'll get 30,000 stuffed toys, and we'll throw them onto the ice, and they did it. 34,798 broke the record that was held by the Calgary Hitman. This is something that's been going on since 1993. It is so old that, how old is it? Shane Doan assisted on the first goal that was scored, and he then went on and played, what, 19 years in the National Hockey League and has since retired? And I think he's living on a ranch in Arizona. He's having a great old time. Yeah, he was in junior hockey when they started this. So they've been happening for a long time, and they are a fantastic cause. Thanks to everybody from the Salvation Army who helped out yesterday and who did all of that counting and collecting. So those are some of the things that we are going to get to. A couple of things we do need to keep in mind. One is the change that you heard on 980 CFPL on Friday regarding City of London parking enforcement, the new division Launched today, so parking ticket recipients either pay a ticket or initiate a screening request within 15 days of getting that ticket on your windshield, and you can find screening forms, or at least request one, online, or you can call the office, or you can visit the office in person, and then they will set up the process, and then that's kind of how you argue against your ticket these days. So you can go to 824 Dundas Street in London, and you can get that going. But remember, this is this is a little bit of a change. This is now scheduled appointments, which are going to create a more efficient and effective process to receive and settle parking enforcement disputes, according to the City of London. So that is in effect. Yesterday, look what went into effect yesterday. If LCBO stores, beer stores, any of the grocery stores like the Superstore that is up in Hyde Park, if any of them want to sell booze, beer from 9 in the morning until 11 at night, they're allowed to do that. No guarantee that that's what will happen, but they are allowed to do that if they want to. So that went into effect yesterday. And congratulations to Canadian astronaut David Saint-Jacques because he was in Kazakhstan this morning and now he's not there. He's in space. And he's headed to the International Space Station. He is a doctor and an astronaut. He's going to be looking at the effects of low gravity on some of the other astronauts that he's up in the space station with and doing a few things. They're up there for six months. Six months. Amazing. We'll have to see if we can get Commander Hatfield on the show sometime soon. You know what we're talking about later this week? I was hoping we could do this, and it looks like we're going to. We're going to talk with a geneticist, 
And we're going to look at CRISPR. You saw last week the two CRISPR babies had been born. What are CRISPR babies? Sound delicious. No, they're not. They're, they're babies. But they have had their genetic code messed with by CRISPR. So we'll talk about what CRISPR is and, you know, what all of this means. Because we're entering a really unique time where we're going to have conversations that you wouldn't even believe could have existed. We're going to have conversations that basically ask the question, okay, we have the ability to change this. So let's take, for instance, a disease. Pick any disease. Let's say it's a type of cancer. All right, we have the ability to fix someone's genetic code so that the likelihood of them getting this form of cancer doesn't even exist. We have the ability to fix somebody's genetic code so that the odds of them getting muscular dystrophy, no, don't exist. So we have that ability coming. But at the same time, we're going to have to say we also have the ability to create a human with a 60-inch vertical. Is that okay? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Are both of them right? Are neither one right? Should we not be doing any of this? These are conversations that are going on now, but they're going to be going on to a greater extent. And at the same time, you're also going to have the ability to kind of read brainwaves to a greater extent. And so do we need to protect our own thoughts? What? I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat on this, but those are conversations that are coming. So this is some of the stuff that we'll get into a little later on this week. And we'll talk with some of the the people involved in actually looking at what you can do to manipulate a genetic code. Because immediately you're going to hear, well, we can eradicate this disease, we can eradicate this disorder. Okay, yep, we're doing that. 60-inch vertical. Uh, okay, why not? The NBA is going to be a blast. We'll have to have 12-foot nets. How about we create a child that is able to do math as fast as a computer? Is that okay? Uh, I, I don't know about that one. I don't know. Where do you draw the line? Because these lines are going to be coming from everywhere. So that's later on this week. Again, we'll be talking with Jerry Diaz and Smokey Thomas now in about 20 minutes. Right now, we have Hockey Canada unveiling their final selection camp roster for the World Junior Hockey Championship. In a moment, we're going to talk about what it's like to play at the World Junior Hockey Championship with Alex Formanton, a guy who not only was there, a guy who scored the empty netter to seal things for Canada in a 3-1 victory in the gold medal game in Buffalo. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about playing outdoors. Remember they played outdoors in front of, what, 25,000 people on a bit of a cold and snowy day in Buffalo, New York. So we'll get some thoughts on that. And as soon as the roster is announced, we'll let you know how many London connections happen to be on it. This is London Live. We'll take a quick break. Alex Formanton on the way next. Smokey Thomas and Jerry Diaz up in about 20 minutes. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The roster is being unveiled for the final selection camp for Team Canada. The World Juniors have become a tournament that years and years ago, Sherry Basson, you've really got to credit him, decided Canada needed to send not just one of their better teams, Canada needed to create a team and then go and play up against the best in the world at the junior age level. And that's what they did. 
and Canada started having some pretty neat success. Sherry Bassin has some great stories because you used to not have a playoff round. And I'm trying to think of which year it was. It was early 80s. And Sherry Bassin is coaching the team. And he goes into the dressing room. And Canada needs to, I think, win or tie because they didn't, again, have gold medal games. You just had the standings at the end, and they went, uh, yeah, okay, you guys have more points. Congratulations. Gold medal for you. It wasn't quite the same, but Sherry Basson knew that his team needed a win or a tie, wanted to inspire them. And Sherry, he knows how to get things done. I don't know how he did this, but somehow, this is the, the guy running one of the teams, he gets a gold medal. And he has it in his pocket. And he walks into the dressing room. And he starts walking around. And he says something to the effect of, guys, you know what we're playing for, right? And they all, yeah, 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 playing for gold. He goes, not just that. You're playing for this. And he pulls this gold medal out of his pocket. And he walks over to one of the players. And he says, take a look at that. And the guy reaches out to grab it. And he says, no, he pulls it away. No, no, this is something you have to earn. And the players were so hyped up that they went out and they got that win or that tie, and they got that gold medal. Amazing story. He's got a million of those. But that's the beginning of the World Junior Hockey Championship. Now it's a tournament so many people pay attention to. And there stands to be an awful lot of London connections on that selection camp roster today. Isaac Ratcliffe, Nick Suzuki, London Knights like Alex Formanton, and Evan Bouchard, possibly Liam Foodie. So that's being announced right now. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we want to talk with a guy who is a lock to make the team. And we had a chance to do that after the London Knights finished off their 14th straight win last night. Alex Formanton represented Canada last year and won gold. So from that story about what it would take to win gold from Sherry Basson to actually doing it like Formanton did last year. Let's take you back to that conversation. Alex Formanton played in the OHL. He's played in the National Hockey League. Now he's played World Juniors. We asked him to describe what it was like to play for Team Canada. I mean, yeah, it was incredible, you know, just having that first opportunity to wear the Canada flag on your chest there. So um, I just remember walking out and seeing the support of our, our country behind us in the stands there. So um, it was a pretty incredible experience. Being in Buffalo with all the things that went on, think about the outdoor game. What was that experience like? That was crazy, that game. Uh, that was my first time ever playing outdoors. So um, kind of reminded me of, of playing in uh, everyone's backyard, you know, a little backyard rink. So um, just getting out to play that game and seeing all those fans there. I mean, it was, it was loud being... Uh, even though they were that far away from the, the ice, it was pretty loud in there. When you think back to that game, any moment you remember, first shift or any of the goals? Uh, I'd say probably just the opening ceremonies. I mean, us walking out, I remember they had a, uh, the drums playing on, on uh, each edge of the mat there, so um, I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty soon, things get really intense in that tournament. When you get through the round robin, you're playing as well as you guys were, the medal round what is that like in terms of ratcheting up the intensity yeah i mean uh, we just wanted to take it game by game and um obviously seeing us make it into the medal round you know we knew we had to step up our game and um i think we did a very good job at doing that what about the gold medal game sitting in the room before 
everybody loud, normal, everybody really quiet and focused? It goes one of two ways usually. Um, I think it was, if I remember, it was pretty quiet. I mean, um, it's definitely probably one of the biggest games that I've, I've played and um, everyone was quiet and once we stepped that ice, I think it, you kind of forget about that and just play your game, but I remember just walking out and seeing all the red in the crowd, so um, it was pretty crazy. That surprised you that you had that much red in the crowd or you kind of sensed it was coming? Um, I know, I think I kind of sensed it was coming, but um, I expected to see a little bit of yellow, you know, in the crowd there, but um, I mean, our fans pretty much overpowered that, so it was pretty cool. That game itself, is it one of those ones where after the first shift, ah, this is same as any tournament game you played when you were eight years old, or is it still a little bit different? I mean, you're obviously going to be nervous going into it, but I think after the first shift, it starts to, to feel like a regular game, and um, you have to act like it, otherwise you're going to be a little jumpy with the puck there. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think it was a, a lot of fun that game. You probably know the answer to this, but other than the end horn, your favorite moment in that game, what would it be? I'd probably say putting away that empty netter, yeah. I mean, it felt really good, and um, just knowing that we solidified that goal was, was pretty sweet. And then the celebration after. Celebrations kind of, you know, guys will say, I don't remember much. It's kind of a blur. How much of a blur was it? It was, uh, yeah, like you said, it was a blur. I mean, we were so excited and so proud of ourselves that we did it. And, um, you know, you're just in the moment there. Now you think about, you know, being a returning player to the team. Is it a responsibility that you have or, or does Hockey Canada kind of take over bringing everybody together? I mean I think it's a responsibility hopefully I can be a leader on that team but um, I think it's just going to be another great group of guys that, that click well together so I think the most important is obviously building chemistry from the start of selection camp. Hockey Canada does such a great job bringing everybody together really gelling the team any moments that you think back to that really kind of said hey we're it we're the team um, I mean, yeah, like you said, they do a great job at, at putting us together. And um, we did a little bit of off-ice building uh, there in Niagara on the lake. So um, I think that's that would help us gel on the ice and off the ice. Well, best of luck through camp. Congratulations on everything you've done so far. And how about another gold medal? Thank you. Alex Formanton. He is on the selection camp roster as one of the returning players. Definitely one of those locks you want to bring back as many guys as you can the other london connections and there are five evan bouchard and liam foodie both named to the selection camp roster from the london knights and two londoners two former junior knights nick suzuki and isaac ratcliffe both named to the selection camp roster so congratulations to all of them and now they kind of whittle down to 22 or 23 players, whatever the coaching staff sees fit. And the goaltenders, just in case you're wondering, Michael DiPietro of Windsor, Matthew Villalta of Sault Ste. Marie, they're taking a third, whether that means they take a third goalie. Sometimes Team Canada does not. Ian Scott is also there from Prince Albert. He's had a dynamite year. Prince Albert, I think they've lost, what, once, twice? They're amazing. And this guy not only stops pucks, he's already scored a goal this year that he shot into the net. So that is the selection camp roster for Team Canada. And they will have, obviously, a camp. And then they will name the final team on December the 14th. But five London connections. Nick Suzuki and Isaac Ratcliffe, who are from London, along with Evan Bouchard, Liam Foody, and Alex Formanton, who play for the London Knights. We were talking about CRISPR, and James sent through a really neat video. And this is... 
using CRISPR to make mosquitoes sterile. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Do we need mosquitoes? You have to worry about the food chain. See, again, this is stuff that you're going to see science have the ability to carry out really easily. But what does it do to the world? What does it do to humans? Do you still call someone human if they've had their DNA edited, their genetic code edited? These are questions we'll get to later on this week. Up next, you may have heard it. You can read about it right now at 980cfpl.ca. Opsu and Unifor getting to be side-by-side and taking on the Ontario government. Well, you want to know side-by-side? It's going to happen on London Live. Jerry Dias, president of Unifor, Smokey Thomas, president of Opsu, will be on the show together in about five minutes. Next up, we've got news with Matthew Trevithick. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Last week, what would you say the biggest announcement was in Ontario? It's a pretty easy one. Don't even need a trivia question for that one. GM shuttering its Oshawa plant next year. Gone, 2,500 jobs. That's not good. And we know that it's not an easy time in this province. We know that it's not an easy time in any sector. You can look at that, as we've said, and say this is either corporate greed or it is moving toward the future. It might be a little bit of both. Can't be a little bit of neither, can it? But we have an opportunity right now to take a very close look at what is happening and what was kind of unveiled by both Unifor and Opsu, the Ontario Public Service Employees Union, that they have kind of come together even more than they have been at any other time, and they are... Do we say going head-to-head with the Ontario government? Is is that a fair statement? I don't know. But I know how we're going to find out. On London Live right now, please welcome the president of Unifor, Mr. Jerry Diaz, and the president of Opsu, Mr. Smokey Thomas. Gentlemen, how's Monday? Snowing here in Kingston. Flurries. (laughs) All right. Jerry, things are good with you? Well, no, it's, uh, things are rather busy based on the GM announcement, and obviously our members in the plant are incredibly concerned, and we are formulating a plan to fight back in a very, very serious way uh, General Motors' decision because failure is not an option, and ultimately Ontario can't stand to lose the about 20,000 direct and indirect jobs. This will have such a huge impact on the community of Oshawa. So this is a big deal. And this requires everyone pulling together. Well, let's look at that fighting back. Now, is it fair to say you are teaming up and going head-to-head with the Ontario government, or do you look at it a different way? Jerry, I'll start with you. Well, first of all, I would have enjoyed joining the Ontario government as we fought GM's decision. I spoke to the Premier uh, uh, Sunday night prior to GM making the announcement. And so I was absolutely floored when I heard his proclamation on Monday that he's thrown in the towel, that he was concentrating on getting our members five weeks of unemployment insurance over and above their entitlement instead of rolling up his sleeves and saying, we need to do everything possible to ensure that GM reverses their decision. So the fact that he was quite comfortable getting beat up in the way and he didn't even make it into the ring was rather astonishing for a person that fancies themselves as a real street fighter. 
So would I have preferred to work with the government? The answer is yes. Uh, Do they want to work with us? The answer is clearly no. Okay. Smokey, do you feel the same way? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And anything that uh, Unifor and Opsu and Jerry and I can do together to help reverse this decision and then a whole bunch of other things, uh, I'm all in. So is my union. All right. Now let's look at the, the situation. The two of you have the opportunity to talk at different times, but have you ever done anything like this before, your two unions? Smokey? We worked together, uh, settling two strikes that we had in the healthcare sector. Jerry had one in Thunder Bay, and we had one in Owen Sound. And uh, we found out that we certainly think a lot alike. In the past, when GM was under attack, Ken Lewinza was the president. I went out there and spoke at rallies, walked the picket line. Uh, we helped out there, got people out to the rallies. Uh, but since Jerry's become president, we've gotten to know each other. Uh, we think a lot alike. Our organizations are, uh, you know, both will fight if necessary. And, uh, no, I think it makes perfect sense for us to join up, and uh, I'm certainly happy that we have. Smokey, you mentioned well, Frank, Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jerry. Look, this is about working-class people. I mean, it is clear, if you listen uh, to the Ford government, um, what they believe about public sector unions, um, what they plan on doing with the public sector unions, there's no question. Smokey and Opsu and, and other members in the public sector being for the fight of their lives over the next three years, it's clear uh, based on Ford's lack of, act, uh, lack of activity on just the initial GM announcement uh, that he's not going to fight hard for good manufacturing jobs here in Ontario. So there's private sector and public sector workers that have a lot to be uh, concerned about. And frankly, the only way that we can really get this government's attention if, in fact, they're going to continue down this road is for us to join our, our resources, join our people power, and, and, and say to the government, listen, so far, you haven't made great decisions. We're hoping you're going to. We're hoping you're going to start to make some better ones. We're talking with Jerry Dias, who is the president of Unifor, and Smokey Thomas, who is the president of Opsu. They have joined forces, and they have done so to challenge the government to fight for their members. If we look back to the closing announcement for the GM plant in Oshawa, now Jerry, that wasn't the only plant that was being affected by this so what is it that you hope to be able to do in this well first of all we have to have general motors change your decision period it doesn't go any uh, it's not it's not any more complicated than that i think about all the supplier plants that are around intiva woodbridge foam lear i can start to walk through the list i think about all the uh, people that drive trucks to and from oshawa i think about all of the spin-off jobs this is significant this is a $30 billion hit. Uh, if you take a look at the overall economic carnage, it's a big deal here. Um, so when you, when, if, when you take a look at what it is we have to do, we need to do everything humanly possible, um, ensure that the General Motors knows that Canadians aren't going to accept this decision. Let me give an example. I got, a, I got a phone call on Saturday from a car dealership saying that customers canceled nine firm orders just that morning. So Canadians, this is a discussion over the dinner table. People are furious. They understand what's going on here. So GM has some decisions to make as well. Canada is a $10 billion uh, industry for them, $10 billion. And uh, my guess is Canadians are going to have something to say about that because loyalty goes both ways. Smokey, in terms of how you, you change uh, a, 
a mind like General Motors. This is a massive company. They've looked at bottom lines. They've looked. This has been their decision. What do you do to kind of start to push them in another direction? Do you need a bunch of Canadians stepping up and and making noise, or or can you do it another way? No, I, I well, I think uh, I'm with Jerry on this one. We need Doug Ford to come to the table. The feds have uh, said they're going to fight for it. So we'll uh, mobilize our 155,000 members and their families and friends to, to support Unifor workers. Just as uh, Jerry talked about public services, he'll mobilize his members to support our fight to hang on to public services. But I think that it, this key here is Doug Ford. If he would, uh, you know, uh, actually take some interest in working people here instead of his friends and his cronies, I think he could be a big help. And I think Jerry and I have talked about this, and I think we're both on the same page. We would like to sit with Doug Ford, and we'd rather work with him than fight him. But if it, you know if he's not going to do anything, then we're certainly we're going to fight, and I'm going to join that fight with all our all our members, our executive board, and all our resources, which are considerable. Smokey, you mentioned other things outside of GM that the two of you could work together on. What would some of those be? Saving public services. Uh, fighting privatization of public services. Jerry has public sector workers in his union as well. I have a small handful of private sector. But we both understand that we need a good, robust private sector with full-time, good, decent-paying jobs to pay taxes to support a robust public, uh, public services. Uh, and because public services are the great equalizer in society, doesn't matter whether you're poor, rich, and middle class in between, public services should be equal and are equal, and everybody has equal access. But Ford is already indicating, you know, he's already dialed back. He, he you know, Bill 47, he rolled back uh, gains for working people. He's rolled back gains for people on ODSP and Ontario Works. It's going to be harder to get on, so you're going to, more people will suffer and, and live in absolute abject poverty. So he's attacking working people, and he's attacking people who, through, through no fault of their own, can't work. So, and, uh, you know, I spoke at Jerry's Ontario Convention on Saturday morning, and what I heard there was truly impressive. You know, they're a social justice union as well as looking, you know, take, looking at the interests of their members, but their activists are like my activists. They want a fair and just society for everybody, and I think that's the fight. And how that fight shapes up, we've got a, work, a couple of working groups working that up right now, but I can guarantee Mr. Ford one thing. If it's a fight he wants, it's a bloody fight he'll get, and he, he'll come out on the short end of it, I guarantee you that. Smokey Thomas with us from OPSU, Jerry Dias from Uniform. We had an announcement in London, gentlemen, last week that went over very well here, and that was that Maple Leaf Foods is going to construct a consolidated plant in London, Ontario. We were happy to hear that. Can I get your thoughts, your reactions to how that played out? Jerry, can we start with you? Well, sure. What, what Maple Leaf failed to announce or Doug Ford was for every one job they were creating in London, they were cutting two somewhere else. So this isn't a situation where you take a look at Maple Leaf Foods' existing footprint, and this is an incredible announcement that builds on that. This is an announcement where they're opening up facilities in London while slashing jobs elsewhere. So the net gain for Ontario workers will not be a net gain. It'll be, it'll be a reduction of jobs. So am I pleased in the community of London? Yes. Am I, am I uh, pleased of, uh, with the number of Maple Leaf uh, workers that are going to lose their jobs? The answer is no. So this isn't a situation where somehow we can, we can be pounding our chests and saying how great it is for people overall. Smokey? 
I would echo Jerry's comments uh, exactly the same and just add this, that, you know, the provincial and federal government are giving tens of millions of dollars to Maple Leaf Foods, who are a very profitable corporation, uh, and particularly the Ontario government, to a very profitable corporation, probably doesn't need the money at all, but they'll take it, and uh, then turn their backs on GM workers. So I, I, I just, you know, there's quite a bit of, there's a lot of hypocritical, to say uh, the least. Gentlemen, I really want to thank you for your time. In closing, I want to give each of you the opportunity to say what you believe the battle with the Ontario government needs to see next. Jerry, what would you, what is the first step in this in order to getting something done? First of all, the Premier is going to have to change his priorities. With the implementation of Bill 47, he froze the minimum wage at $14 an hour. And I think what frustrates me the most is the dishonesty. He tried to claim how the $14 minimum wage was a job killer. It led to factory closures. But the simple reality is, in the six months after the implementation of $14 an hour, 81,000 jobs were created. So I want honest government more than anything else. I want candid talk, but I want people to talk about facts, not straight rhetoric. Smokey? I'd echo those comments and and just add a couple of things. One, uh, I think we'd like a table. In fact, we want a table with Mr. Ford uh, for Jerry and I to sit down and talk to him about the importance of GM, uh, the importance of the private sector, good jobs, public services. And both our unions, our activist base who provide those services, uh, have good ideas. And uh, I'd, I'd really like to see Mr. Ford strike a labor roundtable and sit down and talk to all labor leaders. But, and, and you know, and uh, Jerry and I are committed to taking the fight to him. Uh, my union will, and just like Jerry's union, will work with community partners all, all across the province and other unions. Uh, but I'd say this to all those Tory uh, backbenchers. Uh, you're not going to be immune from this, and particularly cabinet ministers say, well, you know, the premier doesn't give me much of a say. Well, I, that's fine, but that don't cut it. So they're going to be lobbied, they're going to be lobbied hard, and uh, and uh, we will continue to lobby them. So this, again, if uh, I guess if Mr. Ford wants war, it's not just a fight, it would be a war, he can have it. Or he can do good things, and I, for one, would stand up and say, hey, that's a good thing. And I think my record with the Liberals says that. When they did something good, I said they did something good. When they did something that bad, I said they did something bad. So I think, uh, you know, we're... We're just the first volley to Mr. Ford. Uh, let's see how he reacts rather than now starting to call us union bosses. Jerry, I guess we'll have to change our union cards again and call ourselves union bosses. But that's an old uh, Harrison, Harrison Hudak trick, which is, I always sound kind of funny, actually. But uh, but uh, that's what kind of I'm, I'm with Jerry 100%. Smokey, Jerry, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you. Well, have thank a great you. day. Pre- really appreciate it. That's Smokey Thomas and Jerry Diaz. The, as they just called themselves, union bosses, but the president of Unifor and the president of Opsu. What do you think? Do they have a chance? Now, if they are going to come together, they bring together a membership of 470,000 people. But a lot of people will say, you could have 470 million people. This is a decision in the GM case made by General Motors and... You can do all you want. They're not going to change their minds. Do you think that this makes a big difference? Do you see them now coming together and being able to lobby the Ford government to get back to a table? Like they said, all they want is a table.
Let's open the phones. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back with more in a moment on London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Just spoke with Warren Smokey Thomas, OPSU president and the president of Unifor, Jerry Diaz, and both now committed to working together to try to convince the Doug Ford government to get to a table against General Motors. I mean, this is their job. This is what they have to do. But do you think they can do it? Do you think it would make a difference if they were together, which they now say they are, in trying to convince the Doug Ford government to seek to open talks with General Motors? What do you think? 519-643-2222. Ken says, we need to find a way to protect workers. Doug Ford's government has been all about bringing in business. What about protecting the business that we already have? 519-643-2222. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, and you can also tweet me at Stubbs980. Do you think that this move sends a message, makes a difference? Does it initiate something? Is there anything that you can initiate? We'll go to John. Hey, John. Hey, uh, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. This isn't going to do anything. GM has made up their minds, and... The union's been blowing smoke up their workers' butts for I don't know how long. The car plants warned them if they kept on pushing, kept on pushing big wages, they were going to move it somewhere that it was cheaper. The union brought it on. The workers got nobody to blame except the union. John, thanks for the call. 519-643-2222. Marilyn. Oh, gee, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Are you there? I am. Okay, dear. Well, I think they should talk. And uh, I feel so sorry at Christmas time that, you know, this has to happen. Yeah, it's a tough time of year for this to happen. Well, I'll tell you what, this old lady, the very old lady, I'll be 84 next, um, next month, can do. I'll tell you what I'll do, dear. I'll pray about it. How about that? Well, hey, that's what a lot of people in and around Oshawa will be doing as well. Marilyn? The poor souls. And and I hope I'll be talking to you again before Christmas, dear. Oh, I'm sure you will be. There's a card in the mail for you and for Charlotte and for the Needles. Look forward to getting those. Thanks okay, so much, Marilyn. Honey. I just love you to pieces. You know that. <laughs> I know that. Love you too, Marilyn. Bye-bye, dear. Bye-bye. Well, I mean, you know what? John summed it up. And it is a difficult time of year. I mean, this this is a tough time of year for a lot of businesses because you've got a fiscal sometimes that starts in January. And so they'll have that shareholders meeting. So they want to get stuff done now. And that's why you wind up getting announcements around now. But what do you do? John's exactly right that you have to look at wages. There are cheaper places to produce things in the world. But is that the ultimate solution? I mean, do we send everything to Laos? Is that what we do? That's a difficult proposition because they have, I think, last check, the cheapest labor. Another, John, you've got the last word on this. You've got about 30 seconds, but they're all yours. All right, John. Well, it sort of reminds me of the halfway show on Second City, those two on your radio station. They keep pushing for higher wages. They want this. They want that. 
Well, of course, the companies are going to leave. They don't own the companies. Other people created these companies, and now they're trying to take them over and run them their way. They want to do something productive and tell the two idiots to get together and build their own company, and then they can pay their employees high wages that they're asking everybody else to pay out. Other than that, talking about the Kathleen Wynn thing, well, they got nothing bad to say about her. Simple reason is she never did anything bad to them because they're all in the same boat together. So, and they saw the writing on the wall with this plant anyways. Why weren't they prepared, and why is everybody acting so surprised? It makes no sense. Thanks for the time. Hey, thank you for the call, John. Have a great afternoon. We'll take a break. We'll let you know what's coming up next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Coming up, we have news with Matthew Travithick, and then we're going to talk about gas prices and our economy being tied to oil in the way that it is. Some big happenings over the weekend in Alberta and in Argentina that we will recap. We will also talk about what Hockey Canada left in London, Ontario, and a new world record in the teddy bear toss. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thanks again to Smokey Thomas and Jerry Dias for joining us last hour. This hour, we'll head to Hershey, Pennsylvania. You ever been to Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania? They still have the Hershey factory. They still do, and they still make chocolate. You know what's great? If you get to go through a chocolate bar factory, you, at the end, go into their gift shop, because it doesn't matter what it is anymore. Everything ends in a gift shop these days, Right? You walk in a building, you take a tour, eventually, oh, here, before you leave, here's a gift shop. Disney, I think, was the first to perfect it. Oh, you want to go on this ride? Yeah, at the end of the ride is a gift shop for the ride. And people are buying stuff all over the place. But in a chocolate factory gift shop, there aren't Oompa Loompas, first off, you will not see them. But what there are is broken bits of chocolate bars that you get for a really discounted price. Now... I don't know how discounted it is anymore. Things have gone up a lot in price, but you can't miss that. The scraps, you can get more out of life in finding ways to pick up the scraps, which are just as good. Look at No Name. Remember when we didn't have No Name? Remember when it first came in, everything was just yellow? You had yellow beer cans and everything was the yellow, No Name stuff. And that was new, but basically it was the regular stuff, only what? It fell on the floor. I'm not sure where it all started. But now, we've got it all over the place. And if you look to find it, take advantage of it, you'll be in great shape. This hour, we'll talk about the teddy bear toss that broke a world record. We didn't quite do it in London, Ontario. We could aim for it for next year, but we would have to aim very high. 34,798 stuffed toys were thrown down in Hershey, Pennsylvania. None of them made of chocolate. And all of them were collected, and like the teddy bear toss we had in London, they will be handed to a lot of boys and girls in their area, and a lot of charities benefited from it. And here in London, same sort of thing. The Christmas hampers are going to be assembled, and as many or more than 6,500 kids will be helped out in 2018. So thank you if you took part in that yesterday. We're going to talk gas prices slash oil prices in just a moment. We're going to be joined by Dan McTagg, but just to give you a little background on the story, there's 
a couple of things that we're going to be looking at. One, got a lot of cheap prices around here. How long is that going to last? Don't go thinking it's going to be too, too long, but enjoy it while it does. But we have the heads of basically the G20 countries, 20 largest economies, that headed off to Argentina and had a meeting in Buenos Aires this past weekend. And they talked oil and they took a look at what benchmark Brent crude is. I'm not sure what that means, but our next guest will know exactly what that means. And the amount that that's going for worldwide, what each individual country is looking at. So that was a conversation that took place in Buenos Aires. And then, of course, we had Alberta Premier Rachel Notley deciding that Alberta was going to cut oil production by 8.7%. The idea to increase oil prices. Well, when we hear that, we think, well, what's that going to do? I'm really liking this gas at 99 cents or 97 cents or even it was like a buck two. That's okay. I'd like it to stick there. Yeah, but maybe we wouldn't because the Canadian economy doesn't always benefit when stuff like that takes place. The man we turn to when talking oil and gas is Dan McTagg of GasBuddy.com. And he joins us now to talk about Argentina, Alberta, and more. Dan, busy day. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> tired. And uh, it's been a long weekend of gazing at headlines and what's been happening uh, not just in Alberta, but more importantly, what happened in Argentina on the weekend with uh, some pretty big meetings that had nothing to do with the actual summit itself and everything to do with uh, plumbing oil prices. Well, we'll get to Alberta in a minute. We'll get to what we're enjoying here and how long we may or may not be able to enjoy those. But fill us in on Argentina and what this does mean for people here. Well, what it means is that there is likely to be a bit of a bump in prices. Uh, you know, you could see at the end of it all, Perhaps prices moving up to a buck six point nine by Wednesday, maybe up a penny or so. But I'm not seeing much more than that. Of course, uh, we know here in the London market uh, from the many interviews you and I have had, Mike. Always best to buy your gasoline in the evenings and on the weekends. And, uh, I don't need to say that. I think most people out there who drive know uh, it's a very smart time to shop. Wait till the evenings. Well, if we look at the pumps right now, a lot of our pumps are under a dollar, which. You know, people drive by and say, I haven't seen that. People are actually taking pictures, tweeting out those pictures. With regard to what happened in Argentina over the weekend, are we looking at at something that could have maybe uh, an impetus for more meetings like this, for more discussions like this? Yeah, I think uh, you're likely to see, uh, in the the short term at least, um, you know, perhaps a move towards uh, more stable prices for oil. Remember, it dropped from 76 bucks a barrel. That's the international benchmark here for North America. It's West Texas Intermediate. Uh, at the beginning of October, all the way down to oh, it's about 50 bucks a barrel. Same for Brent, uh, 86 all the way down to 58, 59. So, you know, those kind of drops were well out of proportion with reality and with OPEC and Russia deciding, I think, by Thursday or Friday to cut back on production. We're likely to see prices move back up into the 60s range. So, you know, the uh, dollar a liter that we're seeing here, under a dollar, with gas stations often giving away their retail margins, you might see that sort of evaporate up an average of five cents a liter potentially. Um, and of course, uh, in only 29, 28 days, the federal government uh, reimposing carbon taxes, so they'll be good for another five. Come January 1st, looks like average prices will be up at least 10 cents a liter. Okay. 
Stock up. Dan McTagg joining us from GasBuddy.com. If we look out to Alberta and we look at what they are trying to do in order to stimulate their economy, I mean, you look at, at what oil is selling for for them. Do we believe the numbers that Premier Rachel Notley is throwing out there? Well, you have to believe that uh, this isn't uh, just an absolute body blow to uh, the Alberta economy. It's also uh, a big hit, unnoticed by most, to your bottom line. Uh, that's because our number one export uh, isn't wheat. It isn't automotive parts. Uh, it's actually oil. And when you devalue your oil price uh, to the extent that it's only worth a third of what the international benchmark is, well, you can expect that uh, that has, has a significant impact on your balance of trade, on the value of what you're trading. And that's why it takes 131, 132 cents to buy a U.S. dollar. Now, most people shrug their shoulders, don't think it's a big deal, might actually think it's great for, for business and for com- competition. But what does mean is that you and I are paying a third more for just about everything because we price all of our commodities, all the goods and services that we have here in U.S. terms. It's not a very much a, a wise idea, much less to ignore it, that, uh, you know, uh, letting our oil uh, fritter away at prices that are the lowest in the world is very wise policy, simply because that's the kind of stuff that not just supports your bottom line, it also supports government's uh, finances. Thank you, federal, provincial revenues that are derived from oil, from people working, from investments coming into the country. With all those things disappearing, uh, you and I have to uh, pay for it. So, and you wonder, the federal government has now got a $19 billion deficit this year alone. And so what needs to happen to change it? Alberta right now is looking at kind of putting the brakes on with the hope of, of bringing prices yeah. up a little bit. Is that going to make a difference? Yeah, there's very little that they can do other than maybe getting a few more barrels on rail and, of course, capping this so that the price comes up a little bit. But the bottom line is this is really in Ottawa's, uh, uh, you know, uh, bailiwick. They've got to get off uh, this idea of uh, placating everybody and social license and, you know, balances on gender with, as, it relates, as it relates to pipelines and get a pipeline built. It's not hard. You know, we've, as a country, we've been able to build pipelines and the one that currently exists with Trans Mountain has never had an incident in the 60 years it's been there. I mean, we uh, really do not do ourselves any favor uh, by building uh, and, uh, you know, uh, clean, uh, producing clean oil, building excellent pipelines that have a, tr- you know, a tremendously good track record, while at the same time bending over backwards to the latest fad, which is, oh, you know, leave it, bury it in the ground. But we can't do that. And the, the fact is uh, no other producing country that has, you know, the third largest provable reserves in the world would allow a small, finite group of people to whipsaw its uh, public interest. Now, we've all said we need another pipeline built. It's time for the federal government to exercise its authority. And if a court wants to block it, then by all means, take it to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, get the pipeline built. We'll deal with that later when the lawyers have had their fun and uh, do whatever they, they have to do. At the same time, you know, you have to have some integrity in your regulatory process. And it continues to be delayed at the expense of the country. And in order to build a pipeline, is that onus now on our federal government, basically? Or could we actually attract someone from outside and say, hey, remember that last thing that went on? Don't, don't worry about that. Don't pay any attention. That won't happen this time around. Or have we done some pretty uh, difficult damage to ourselves? Yeah, we try to be all things to all people. and We're too cute by half. We've, uh, we've said that we want to give social license. We want to bend over backwards for everybody. We haven't got a pipeline built. We've canceled the Northern Gateway. We, we destroyed and vandalized the energy use by changing the terms of reference. Uh, we bought 4.5 billion bucks of a pipeline that doesn't exist except for the existing Trans Mountain pipeline. And of course, now you've confused a lot of people in this world by saying, 
hey, listen, if you impose on yourself, Alberta, a carbon tax and you cap your emissions and you get rid of your coal plants, you'll get that license. Well, guess what? Uh, they were duped. And I think that's where the federal government's got to either, you know, shape up or ship out. Because the frank reality here, this is going to hurt everybody and it's an embarrassment globally. We can't get a pipeline built in a nation that is blessed with an abundance of energy. And we're not just talking about one simple commodity. This so happens, Mike. Oil is our most valuable commodity, much bigger than all of the other products that we sell. The fact that we're not able to get it to market, the fact that our integrity uh, and the uh, the assurance that we give in terms of our regulatory approvals has been shot to pieces, it's, it's time for a reset. And if the federal government doesn't want to do that, perhaps another government soon will do that for them. All right. Well, like you say, we're going to see a, a bump a little bit at the pumps, but overall this is this sounds like a much bigger picture issue. Bigger picture for all of us. We're all in this boat together, and uh, we got to look after each other. Bad for Alberta's bad, bad for Ontario, and vice versa. If this, uh, I mean, think of it this way: we we lament the potential of loss of two to three thousand jobs in Oshawa. Imagine something that happened that was ten times greater. We don't say a word. That's exactly what's been going on in Canada, and we've got to recognize, especially as provinces that hold out their hands for equalization, when you're you you know you gore the golden goose as we've done with Alberta and block pipelines. You can't have some provinces turn around saying we still want our cut. Gotcha. Dan, thank you so much as always. Good talking to you, Mike. Cheers. Dan McTagg from GasBuddy.com. Man, when you gore the golden goose, you can't turn around and expect to get your cut. Now that's a line. When you gore the golden goose, you can't turn around and expect to get your cut. Alberta is not a big fan of... Eastern Canada as it is, I can't even imagine the sentiment right now that is going on in the West when you look at how their particular province is struggling. And as Dan says, that does echo throughout the country because we are, we might not want to be tied to oil, but we are. You know, if you follow oil prices, think about when we had them. At a higher level, what was our dollar doing? There were times when the American dollar was worth less than the Canadian dollar. Now we've seen a big change in that. And what does it take to get it back? I don't know. It, As Dan McTagg points to, it takes Ottawa getting involved and getting a pipeline built. But how do we do that? We're already sitting with a $4.5 billion price tag for a pipeline that isn't acting like a pipeline. I don't get it, and I don't know what it is that can be done for a nice, easy, quick fix. But if you went to the grocery store this weekend and you weren't happy about it, there's a lot of what Dan was talking about that plays into the prices that we're paying for a lot of things. Let's take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I want to thank Scott Coulter from Coulter's Pharmacy because I got my flu shot yesterday. He made it easy. I was hoping that it had some kind of rabies vaccine in it. Do you have a cat? We have a couple of cats. One spent the weekend in the Christmas tree making messes. And the other one, the other one's older now. But our other cat has become known by the name The Mean Kitty. The kids, when they were small, they named it that. It had a different name. I don't even remember what it was right now. But it had a different name, and they just, because of the disposition of the cat, that's what it got called. And my daughter was home from university this weekend. I got up yesterday morning, and I came downstairs, and I happened to look over to where there are some sliding doors, 
and they were dirty. Like there, there had, there's been rain. We've had rains. We've had hard rain at some point, and it looked like something had splashed up onto the door. So I thought, you know what I'm going to do? It's Sunday morning. I'm going to clean that. I'm going to clean that outdoor window because it's warm outside. Yeah. So I went and I got the Windex and I got some paper towel and I went walking over and I opened the sliding door and I stepped outside in my bare feet because it was morning. I was just out of bed. I step outside and I step on something small and furry and squishy. Our cat, because my daughter is home for the weekend, decided to bring her a gift, I guess. Is that custom for a cat? Somebody's home for the weekend, you bring them a present? Yeah, brought a nice dead mouse right to the side door. And I got to step right on. I can still feel it now. I hate mice. I absolutely hate them. And there it was. And then, of course, and I never realized that you would eventually get to this point in your life. You know whose job it is to pick up the dead mouse. You can't put that off. That is the dad's job. Is there more of a dad job than if something dies on your property, you have to go and get it? No one else ever gets that job. I don't know. Can you hand that off to a son or daughter at some point? Hey, you know what job I'm not going to do around here? Because eventually you start handing jobs off, right? As they get older, you can say, know who's taking out the trash? And they'll say... Who? And you'll say, you. <laughs> and then you watch their face, and from then on, they take out the garbage. It's just a rite of passage. But I don't think there's a time when the picking up of the dead thing that is on your property ever leaves the dad. I don't. That's not one that you can really pass off, is it? A bird flies into a window, falls down. That's you. Cat brings a mouse to the side door. Also you. So I got rid of the mouse. And uh, I'm really hoping that that flu shot helps to ward off any, what do mice carry around, the hantavirus? Something awful. I know they do. I just don't want any more. How do you you tell the cat? You know, that's very nice. You know, thank you very much for your gesture. That's wonderful that you're trying to contribute to the family. But uh, please stop doing that. We'll buy you food anyway, you know? If you want to finish what you caught there over somewhere else, someone else's property maybe, that's fine. You can do that. You'll The food will still be in your dish. The water will still be fresh. The cat box will still be clean. Guarantee it. I don't know how you communicate that to a cat. But if I could, that's the first thing I would do. Isn't it just easier being a child? You don't have to pick up the dead stuff. There's somebody who's decided that they are going to create a childlike thing for people who miss certain things of childhood. I'm not sure this is the thing that you want. I've always wanted a bouncy house for adults. And I think that there's a lot still to be said that we we could have more of those. But in Phoenix, Arizona, the pit at the lavatory, which is apparently an underground art exhibit, has created something that it feels adults have been missing in their lives. They have taken 120,000 balls and they put them in the ceiling. And every night at 7 o'clock, you can pay to do this. Tickets are $30. $30. You can stand in the pit and every night at 7 o'clock, they drop all of those balls on top of you. And then you are in an adult ball pit. And you get to try and, I don't know, make it out alive. 
Isn't there danger? Isn't that like being up on a sand hill or when you're collecting beans or something and all of a sudden you kind of sink in? Wouldn't there be a problem there? How much of a waiver do you have to sign? You want to bet the pit at the lavatory has a waiver. $30 for that because they think that's what we're missing. If you were to pick the thing you were missing most from your childhood, right now I'd be putting down not having to pick up dead things on my property. Bingo, right there. What would it be? Shoot me an email, mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll see what kind of list we can put together. What would you be missing from your childhood that you just you can't do now because you're an adult? Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Coming up, it's always fun to throw teddy bears, isn't it? Well, it happens a lot at this time of year, and it brightens up a lot of smiley faces at this time of year. We are going to talk about a new world record in teddy bear tossing. It happened in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We'll head to Hershey in about 10 minutes' time. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPS. Thanks for the emails on what you miss from being a kid. If you want to add to it, Mike at 980CFPL.ca. Whatever I had, I'm changing it. Not having to pick up the dead thing on the property. Our cat brought a gift on the weekend. Sherry says, eating whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. Huh? That's a good one. Because as a kid, you don't think. Does it matter? Now you eat ice cream and you think, well, I shouldn't have done that. Either my heart or my backside are going to feel that in the morning. Can't do that. As a kid, you eat ice cream all the time. Doesn't matter. You live on ice cream. If your parents would let you. Jason says, I miss excitement. Well, Jason, I feel bad for him. But he goes on to say, I remember running everywhere all the time. Now I get tired walking up the stairs. It isn't fair. Okay, I can see that. Uh, Dean says, intramurals. Okay. And Tim says, Saturday morning cartoons. That's just something that's lost on a generation. Saturday morning cartoons. Back in the days when you didn't have 24-hour-a-day kids' channels. Although, I really like 24-hour-a-day kids' channels now. But the idea of having to wait for something. We don't have to wait for anything anymore. Think of how, if you had to go back in time, this is a dangerous thing. If you were to put together a time machine and you were to go back in time, do you know how much waiting you would have to do? Do you know how your patience level would have to change? We think we wait now. Oh, I waited in line. Not really. Not really at all. The only place you wait in line is kind of the grocery store. And even then, most grocery stores will say, hey, we've got every line open. You don't wait that long. Costco, maybe, but it's it's the same sort of thing. You're not waiting a week. When cartoons ended at noon on Saturday, you didn't get a cartoon again until the next Saturday. And you were okay with that. Somehow that was fine. Nobody said, you know what we should do? We should keep the cartoons going. Why isn't there a channel of cartoons? Why don't we have that? See? I don't think we'd fare very well in a time machine. I wouldn't want to go forward. Because again, as we said last hour, we're going to be talking about CRISPR and genetic coding later in the week. And all the fun things we can do now. I don't know if we want to go into the future. Because there's going to be some freaky stuff there. I like where we are right now. So, if you catch any of your neighbors building a time machine so they can go back and enjoy the things like intramurals, Saturday morning cartoons, eating whatever I want whenever I wanted, or just Jason plain excitement, 
wiping a tear. You might want to stop them from building that time machine. I don't think it's going to work. Let's stay in the present because yesterday we had a world record set in teddy bear tossing. Now, it wasn't set in London. London does still hold the record for most teddy bears collected at an Ontario Hockey League game. 10,671. Happened in 2012. Congratulations if you were a part of it. We've really got to break that. We need more of a concerted effort next year. We do at breaking that because in Hershey, Pennsylvania, they've blown it away. I don't think we can touch it. The overall record used to belong to the city of Calgary and the Calgary Hitmen. It was over 28,000 teddy bears collected. That was in 2015. There's a new world record now. How? How did someone get to 34,000-plus teddy bears? We'll find out next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Another one has come in. From Gord, he says, walking to the corner store to get a popsicle on a hot day. Ten-cent popsicles. Yeah, they've taken a lot of those away, too. Now you just have the designer popsicles that they charge all kinds of money for. Ten-cent popsicle. Even if it was 50-cent popsicle now. It's a popsicle. Remember with Popsicle Pete on the side? I don't think we have those anymore. I don't think, have they gone out of business, whoever made those? Did the designer popsicles come and take them away? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Things you miss from when you were a kid. Teddy bears, they're always good. They are always something that brighten a day. And this time of year, there are teddy bear tosses going on all over the place. And in London, Ontario, we had one yesterday that collected over 8,700 bears for the Salvation Army. They will brighten the days of over 6,500 kids in this area. Happens each and every year. It's been going on a whole lot. And in fact, it's picked up outside of junior hockey now. They have them in Australia. They have teddy bear tosses in Sweden. And the Hershey Bears, aptly named, have taken on the teddy bear toss for a few years now. But they have done it up and they have beaten any kind of number anyone has ever put together in any teddy bear toss. Yesterday, they set a brand new world record with their teddy bear toss. And joining us right now is the voice of the Hershey Bears, Zach Fish. Zach, congratulations. Thank you. It was quite the event last night, and a lot of credit goes to our amazing fan base and really nothing like it in minor league hockey. And then our staff as well. So much work goes in behind the scenes to benefit over 30 local charities and just so impressive. And it's a sight that you truly have to see. I mean, we try to describe it on the radio and, you know, you have to watch the video of it. It is just even better in person too. Well, I've tweeted that out at Stubbs 980. So you can have a look at their video. The London Knights and other teams are having teddy bear tosses from now until the holiday break in the OHL. But let's face it, they will collect thousands of bears and it's fantastic. But you guys managed to get, what was the final count? 34,798. It is an unbelievable number. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's a number that blew us away. Uh, we hit 25,000 last year, and it started gaining some momentum. We were barely, 
you know, over 10,000 just a few short years ago when our fans just really started to show initiative. And we have a, a couple fans that really do an amazing job with local organizations um, and their daughter and bring 5,000 bears on their own. And they started picking up steam and it's really started growing here. And last year we hit 25,000. We were like, all right, we're only 3,000 short of what the Calgary Hitmen in the Western League did. And they play the Saddle Dome, right? Our, our building here in Hershey only holds 10,500. It's an immaculate facility, but it's not quite nearly as big as an NHL building, but our fans wanted to take the 30K challenge and get over 30,000, and I was hopeful we'd just beat that record, and when I saw the number right before we announced it, it was staggering. It it sets you back, and every one of those bears goes to over 30 local charities here, so pretty much every kid in central Pennsylvania is going to have a smile on their face with the amount of stuffed animals collected. That is amazing. We're talking with Zach Fish, voice of the Hershey Bears, the new world record holders in teddy bear toss, 34,798 eight stuffed toys came raining down onto their ice surface. When was the goal scored? Because the counting can be a challenge if the goal comes late. Yeah, it came uh, luckily in the first period. We scared ourselves a little last year and got late in the second period, and you're thinking, oh boy, if we're getting in the third Every just the anticipation. Everybody's on the edge of their seat at that point. Luckily, it came with 10:02 left in the first period of play. Uh, 50 seconds after the Devils were playing Binghamton Devils, New Jersey's minor league affiliate, and they had just taken a one nothing lead. We got a power play, and right before that, uh, Mike Scarbosa, former OHL guy, actually the only OHL guy we have on our team, believe it or not, uh, rang the crossbar, and then Barber Riley Barber, Capitals prospect, played a couple games in the NHL. He's the one that got the goal. Uh, as he fired it up on in the rebound. But first ever teddy bear toss I was a part of, I was in the United States Hockey League covering junior hockey in Dubuque, Iowa. We actually had one that looked like it went in upon video review, which they don't have at that level. So our coach was looking at it after it did go in, but the referee thought it hit the post. The horn went off, the fans started throwing the bears, and they waved off the goal, and it was all for naught. So luckily this was a clean goal. It took about... 35, 40 minutes to get it completely cleaned up before we resume the game. And so many volunteers help with that. But just you know, 34,000 bears, the majority of them are on the ice at that point, having to collect them. It rains down for 5, 10 minutes after. It just is really impressive. 34,798. That is the new world record to go after. This has swept through junior hockey, which of course has players who are anywhere between the ages of 16 and 20. They're teenagers. They get a big kick out of this. They talk about it before the game. When you're talking about the pros, how are they feeling about the opportunity to score a goal? You know what? Uh, it's definitely extra incentive and motivation. Uh, Liam O'Brien, who's played a handful of games with the Capitals over the years, former Quebec major junior league product, had the goal last season. And he was kind of challenge his teammates, hey, is anyone going to up me and get it again? And a couple guys said they wanted it, and Riley Barber was one of them. He was able to get it. It's extra incentive, and I think the guys appreciate it. Look, they all want to play in the NHL, and for logistical reasons, they can't do anything like this in the National Hockey League, and that's the joy of junior hockey and minor league sports. But a lot of them have seen it maybe elsewhere, so to see it of this magnitude is great. Uh, Beck Malenstein on our team, he's a Caps prospect and a guy that played for Calgary in 2015 when they set the record in the Western League. You know, he, he was there when they had that many. So to up it, he's been in part of some pretty impressive ones. But I still think the guys enjoy it, and they dive in the pile of bears on the ice. They usually make the rookies do it, but they dive in a massive pile and for the photo opportunities. And 
that's what sports are all about. You look at what the Carolina Hurricanes are doing right now, and I know some people hate it, but it's all about the fun, and that's what it uh, really comes down to, especially at this level. The guys enjoy it, and it's for a great cause, and they really can get behind it. Well, the 30K challenge has been met. A world record has been absolutely shattered. Zach, what do you do for an encore on this? Oh, it's a great question. We've got a couple home games this weekend, and nothing will quite match it. But for next year, we were kind of talking about that already with a building that holds just over 10,000 and hitting 34,000 this year. You know, Calgary holds their teddy bear toss in a week, um, and the game has definitely been up now. They they have a long way to go from where they were. I think they had about 24,000 last year. We actually beat them last year. But we'll see if they're able to rise to the occasion and maybe you know, get us back on our toes and have to up that number next year. But our fans, the generosity of this community, I mean, Hershey, Pennsylvania itself is a town of not too many folks. Uh, the building could hold most of the folks in the town. Of course, we have Harrisburg, the capital, Pennsylvania, not too far by, so we do have some bigger cities near us. But the community is a hockey community through and through, much like many of the towns up north of the border, and a lot of our guys come from those type of towns, and they fit right in here, a hardworking community that loves its hockey team. And, you know, we're excited to... No, I don't want to say 40000 next year. That's a little bit lofty to get going, but I wouldn't be surprised with our fan base. They exceeded hey. expectations as always. That's amazing. Well, Zach, congratulations, and enjoy being the record holders because this one could last for a while. Hey, we appreciate it, and uh, the only thing that's missing for me right now is uh, – some good Timbits and Timmy Hoes here down south of the border <laughs> to, to celebrate and get me through the sleep deprivation of this past week. But uh, appreciate you having me on, guys, and hopefully the teddy bear tosses up there. We'll continue to set the bar as well. Thanks, Zach. Zach Fish. He's the voice of the Hershey Bears. Missing Timbits. See, we take those for granted, don't we? They are the new world record holders in Teddy Bear Toss. So that's if we want to shoot for the world record, that's it. As he says, the Calgary Hitmen do have their Teddy Bear Toss coming up later this week. We'll see how many bears they pick up because they used to be the world record holders. We'll take a break. Have you heard about dark tourism? Dark tourism. It's not taking a red eye. That's not what it is. I don't know how I feel about this. I'll tell you what it is next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You ever heard of dark tourism? I don't know whether it's catching on to the point you would say, yeah, a lot of people will do this. I'm looking to take a trip. Yeah, instead of some palm trees and sunshine, I'd really like to know what it was like during war-torn Bosnia in the mid-90s. Can you help me out? Well, they can. In Sarajevo, they now have the War Hostel, and it's managed by a guy named Aryan Kurbisic, and he has created a place where it is much like what people had to go through during the war in Bosnia from 1992 to 1995. You know, you think about Canadian soldiers who served and who did go to Bosnia, soldiers from all countries. How would they feel about this? Here's basically what this guy has created. You have rooms that don't really have any beds. There are thin mattresses on the floor. There are no pillows. There are no sheets. You have a heavy, scratchy blanket nearby that you can use. And 
some of the guests have described it feels like sleeping with a dead horse. Um, there are gunshots that go on overnight. You hear explosions that go on overnight. There's a sound system that pumps all of this stuff through the hallways. And there is even a room called the bunker, which is a room in the basement. And it is a windowless dungeon. And obviously this line is coming from the guy who's put this together. And he's trying to encourage people to stay there. But he says it's insane to want to sleep there. I don't like this. I mean, I guess you can't outlaw it. But this is what he has created. And it's not only, it's not the only place like this. Now, it's the only one that kind of simulates some of the conditions that people were going through during the war in Bosnia in the very early 90s. But there are other spots. There's a place in Russia where it's a a significant place going back into a number of battles in war. And it's not an expensive place to go. It's only about 20 euros per night. But again, You've got simulated war. There's smoke that's pumped up by a theatrical machine that creates kind of a a smoky fog. Guests say that they really don't sleep when they're there and that cell phones, jewelry, and watches are all banned when you go inside. It's called dark tourism. And this is something that's being created in a number of just people looking for different things. But in Russia, they say it's the war enthusiasts who come and they charge extra money to take pictures with different weapons and anti-aircraft guns. And But seriously, I mean, that's it's not glorifying war. It's trivializing it. You know, the the person who's putting this together to make money off this, because that's ultimately what they're doing, they're trivializing what has gone on. Isn't it experience for somebody? Well, I guess so, to the extent that you have a sound system pumping in the sounds of war, to the extent that you're not going to have a very comfortable sleep. But at the same time, you're not in war, and you're not simulating war. You're just doing things that, in a way, trivialize. I don't like that at all. I hope dark tourism falls away quickly. But you know what? With people just looking for different... We're we're so exposed to everything. You see everything. You have the ability to, to find anything at any time. So you're always looking for that something new that hasn't been done. Well, that's a new envelope that is being pushed. We have the Junos that are coming to London, Ontario in March, and tomorrow we are going to have a Juno nominee on the show. We are also going to talk with Hockey Canada. I don't know if you saw the announcement. It was was done quietly. Maybe this is one of the reasons, or one of the things that we'll ask Hockey Canada. There was an unveiling, I guess, at the Knights game on Friday night that showed the legacy that Hockey Canada was leaving behind from its gala and golf tournament that they held in the summer in London. And London will have $400,000 that stays in this community, which is a great deal. If you look at how much has been left behind in other communities who have held the same event, nothing like this. This is $400,000. So where does that money go? What does it do? And why wasn't this something that was done on the steps of City Hall? I don't know. 
We'll ask that coming up tomorrow on London Live. We'll talk with a member of Hockey Canada and get some information for you. And we're also going to be looking at wait times in healthcare because there will be new information coming out very early tomorrow morning that will illustrate where we're sitting in different provinces with wait times and certainly where Ontario sits with wait times, not just in emergency, but waiting to see a specialist, waiting for surgery, all of those things. So we will have a representative on who has helped to put together this study, and they will fill us in on on where we sit right now. Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? So we'll find that information for you. All of that coming up on London Live. No dark tourism tonight. Congratulations to a few people. Londoners Isaac Ratcliffe and Nick Suzuki, Alex Formanton, Evan Bouchard, and Liam Foody of the London Knights all have been selected for Team Canada's final selection camp for the World Junior Hockey Championship. Matt Trevithick has news coming up next. Thanks to Matt McInnes for all his help today. London Live brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. Not looking like any sunshine until the end of the week, but John Wilson will let us know what the forecast does look like in just a couple of minutes. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.